Thank you. Do I just have to, well, I can get through this, but uh, is this working all right? I think it's working. Okay. Whether this is working or that's working, that's good. Um, first of all, thank you, Chattanooga Valley Presbyterian Church, for your invite for me to return. I think this is like my fourth or fifth occasion. I can't remember uh, quite. But it's a joy to be back with you. And as I repeatedly say, as you know from my accent, I'm not from around these parts. I'm from Northwest Arkansas, and that's, <clears throat> that is true, but my accent does go back a little further, although it's changing a lot, and you get like the people you're among, and so I'm becoming uh, an American. Originally from Northern Ireland, <clears throat> but I've been living here about seven years, and uh, please pray for tomorrow, because tomorrow is a very important event in my life, uh, in that I go before the immigration folks to take a test on civics because I am becoming an American citizen, God willing. It has taken thousands of dollars and it has taken about eight years. I'm not going to make any political statement on that, but if you want to do it legitimately, it takes a long time and a lot of dollars. Um, but we were here on a religious workers visa initially, 2012. We got a green card in 2014, and if you're good boys and girls for five years on a green card, then you can apply for citizenship, which we did earlier part of the year, and tomorrow in Fort Smith, Arkansas, that's why I have to drive home tonight, about 10 hours after this service, uh, tomorrow morning, Fort Smith, Arkansas, I will be interviewed for citizenship. So please pray for that, and uh, I rejoice in that, in becoming uh, an American citizen. It is no light thing to... Uh, take that uh, citizenship uh, vow. Uh, so pray for that. A real joy to be back with you guys. Uh, thank you for your support. Thank you for your support for Christian Witness to Israel. Let me just take you know, two or three minutes um, before I get into the preaching just to commend to you the literature that we have uh, in the rear, uh, the freebies on the one side and the books, throw a few dollars in for the books on the other side. Plenty of good literature there, uh, and I know some of you have taken it in previous years, commend it to others, take stuff for others. Uh, we have uh, plenty of stuff there. Uh, please pass it on. Uh, I really want the church enthused about Jewish mission. We live in the most pro-Israel country on the planet, but possibly for all the wrong reasons and possibly in all the wrong directions. What interest should we have in Israel and when I say that, I mean Israel the people. What is Christian witness to Israel? It's not a witness to a piece of dirt. It's not a witness to a land. It is a witness to the people, and we've been doing it since 1842. This ministry has been going since 1842, and at that point in time, there was no land of Israel. So what were we doing then? Well, we were telling Jewish people about Jesus. So when you see Christian witness to Israel, think Christian witness to the Jewish people. And breaking news, 42% of that people lives in America. 42% of Israel is in the USA. So we have a witness here in the USA. And Christian witness to Israel North America branch 
effectively does two things. And if I can just kind of summarize it, we assist and we enlist. We assist and we enlist. In other words, we assist the church to be the church in Jewish areas. So I'm just, uh, I've been visiting, traveling for the past eight days. I've been in Grand Rapids. I've been in Chicago. I've been in Indianapolis. Um, I've been in Pittsburgh. And now here, and I go home to my long-suffering wife at the end of this day. Um, Jewish population in Detroit. Class, 100,000 Jewish people in Detroit. Jewish population in Chicago, 300,000 Jewish people in Chicago. Jewish population in Pittsburgh, 30,000. Jewish population in Kansas City, 10,000. Jewish population in South Florida, 660,000. New York, 2 million. We have this mission on our doorstep, and I want you to be praying for us as we do it, as we assist the church that is in Jewish area, that are in Jewish areas, to be the church to our Jewish neighbors and bring this message back to those that gave it to us. This is a Jewish book. They gave it to us. They gave him to us. He's Jewish, and the book is Jewish, and the missionaries are Jewish, and really it's about time we took it back to them. They don't know him. One and a half percent of Jewish people know Jesus. One and a half percent. The Jewish people are an unreached people group. Shame on us, church, that the Gentile church has not done what it ought to have done in telling the Jewish people about Jesus. We seek to do that intentionally. We seek to assist the church in doing that. We seek to enlist. So very quickly, one uh, piece of information. I know you've been praying for us for some years. Uh, I have a new colleague in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Uh, he's on the streets. He was, I was with him on Thursday in Squirrel Hill, Pittsburgh, where half of Pittsburgh's Jewish population lives. We were on the streets, and we were engaging with the Jewish people, asking them a simple question. What brings peace in the world? I'll tell a little later in the sermon even about how we do that. But we go on the streets. We have a Friday night meeting in his home where Jewish people attend, Jewish believers, Jewish non-believers, and Gentiles. And he engages with the Jewish community. Can I, again, just commend him to you for prayer? Mitch Tepper is a Jewish believer of over 40 years. And he's there in Pittsburgh. He's our boots on the ground in Pittsburgh. We hired him 1st of October. Little did we know that three weeks later, in the Lord's strange providence, the deadliest anti-Semitic attack on U.S. soil and U.S. history happened in Squirrel Hill, Pittsburgh. And he had been hired three weeks earlier. And so he was on the ground. He has been in the synagogues there. He's Jewish. He can get in places I can't get in. He's a Jewish believer from Brooklyn. He has the accent. He can say coffee the way you're supposed to say coffee. So he, he can say it, and he can get into places that I can't. And, and so he can be there. And in fact, on the streets, a few weeks ago, on the streets of Squirrel Hill, Pittsburgh, uh, he met, and just in passing, one of the widows of that attack. And he spoke to her. He gave his own testimony to her. He prayed for her on the streets of Pittsburgh. And uh, he gave her his contact details. This is intentional Jewish mission. This is what we should be doing. This is what you're supporting. So please continue. And please even personally, if any of you would be interested in supporting Mitch or the general work that we do, please, please lay that upon your heart as well. 
uh, because we need that so that we can do what we do. We've been doing it since 1842. Uh, we want to keep doing it, and we want to assist the church in doing it, and we want to enlist new missionaries for the task. That's, that's in summary. I need to get into the sermon. Otherwise, I'll keep off on all the other story stuff. I commend to you the, the, the magazines, the booklets. Uh, there are booklets from Good Worthies of old. I've shown you them in the past. Since last year, we have a new one. That's, we've had voices from the past, numbers one, two, and three. If you had them in previous years, number four has just been released about a few months ago. So please take number four. And if you have any Dutch family or friends, remind them of how the Dutch really got interested in Jewish mission in the 1600s. Yes, Jewish mission is nothing new. In fact, from the time of the Reformation, the reformers of all of these uh, countries were thinking afresh. What do we do with the Jewish people? Why are they still here? What is, what is God's plan? What are we, well, in a nutshell, tell them about Jesus. Because it's not a matter of trying to get the eschatology all lined up. It's not a matter of staring at blood moons or finding the red heifer. It's a matter of telling Jewish people about Jesus. My heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel, says the apostle, is that they may be saved. And that's what we want to do in bringing the gospel to our Jewish friends. So please take those uh, historic reprints and also our regular magazine, which will tell what we're doing in various parts of the world as well, and how Jewish people are hearing this gospel and are responding to this gospel. Praise God. Well, let me get into the sermon. Turn, please, with me to Galatians chapter 2, and we'll read together from verse 15. Galatians 2 and verse 15, <clears throat> through to the end of the chapter. Let us hear the word of God. We ourselves... This is the Apostle Paul speaking, or Shaol, or Saul. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if justification were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Amen. May the Lord bless and instruct us from his holy word. I love all kinds of music. Thank you, Scott, for bringing us into a Jewish wedding. The first praise. Uh, the uh, second, I thought, I'm not sure of the particular genre, but certainly I almost felt I was in an African-American church and uh, swinging with the choir. Um, 
I love all kinds of music. My daughter, I've shared with, with some of you, my daughter uh, studies opera. She started in musical theater. Uh, she's now studying a master's in opera in Maryland. And uh, I was just uh, um, praising, and, and as parents do, she was singing in the uh, French embassy this week in D.C., singing the French national anthem uh, before uh, a, a, a sizable party of French people, so she had to know her French. So my, my daughter loves music. I'll claim a little bit of the DNA of that. Um, and uh, I love all kinds of music. What you might find strange um, is that one of the uh, musicians that I uh, appreciate and enjoy is Freddie Mercury. Okay, I'm giving my age away now. So uh, that was the rock group that I, I don't know if I'm going to be put out immediately. Okay, now this is not kosher in PCA circles. Um, but those of you who know Queen and know Freddie Mercury will know the wonders of those vocal harmonies and the crossover of rock and opera, Bohemian Rhapsody and all of that. Um, so I love the music and I, I studied music around that time um, and uh, you know, I was uh, engaged in composing and various things like that. So I, I appreciated, let's say, all kinds of music. But one of the things that I always find sad and empty was the lyrics of Freddie Mercury's songs. It was almost as if he knew what was right, but he chose the wrong. And those of you who want to Google it will actually find it rather strange, but uh, the very first album that Queen ever issued and, and, and brought forth, it had a song on it called Jesus. That's an interesting one. It's almost as if Freddie knew what was right, but he chose the wrong. The song that uh, I'm going to refer to by way of introduction, The Show Must Go On. It was written when he was dying of AIDS. And it could almost be the song of the ages. It could almost be the song of mankind. It could almost be that song which sings forth the determination of man to live a fallen life in a fallen world with a pretense the show must go on. It's all okay. It's fine. The song begins, empty spaces, what are we living for? Abandoned places, I guess we know the score. On and on, does anybody know what we are looking for? Well, I thought, well, there's honesty. Does anybody know what we are looking for? Wikipedia, I don't often quote Wikipedia in sermons, but Wikipedia says this, the lyrics are full of allusions, metaphors, and other figures of speech, making it somewhat difficult to understand. I actually don't think it's too difficult to understand. He's dying of AIDS, and he's clinging to life. In the end, uh, or thinly, thinly disguised tragedy ahead is announced. In the end, the text refers to the determination, the furious desire to live in spite of vanishing strength. Quote from the song, I have to find the will to carry on with the show. Inside my heart is breaking, my makeup may be flaking. Well, he's trying. He's trying to keep going. The show must go on. And then Wikipedia refers to the music aspect of it from the perspective of harmony. The song begins in B minor, then there is a modulation to C sharp minor, as if the song implied a hope, but eventually it falls back to B minor. And again, those of you who are musical, 
will even understand something of the significance in that. It's, it's, it's almost as if that's saying what the human condition is. Man is fallen, B minor. He's striving, C sharp, minor, because he still wants his fallen life. He wants his sin, but he's still fallen and he comes back to B minor. The Christian gospel, the Christian gospel has the solution not only to the fall, but in answer to the question, what are we living for? And it concerns faith in a Jewish Messiah by the name of Jesus. People everywhere, maybe you here this morning, people everywhere are asking the question, what are we living for? What is life all about? Jewish people, we're asking them, what are you living for? And I might be so bold to suggest that a lot of people just have the answer, well, the show must go on. And I don't know if that's your case today, but I want to challenge that. The mission of the local church and the mission of CWI is, is similar. We just have a particular people group that we're bringing the same message to. We want to break into your B minor song and raise you not to C-sharp minor, but to raise you to C-major, Christ-major. Galatians 2 points out in no uncertain terms that man's condition before God is a sinner, and he needs to be put right so that he will live before his maker, not with a show, not a pantomime, not with flaking makeup, but living to the maker's glory. So I want to break our text into three, and uh, I trust we will proceed somewhat swiftly. I know we're on a little bit of a time crunch today, but I'll try and swiftly proceed through the three points uh, from the text. I want to make three points. One, the mistake of man, which is it's all about works. Secondly, the truth from the Lord, it's all about faith. And the third point is really an extension of the second, but the faith which works, it's all about Christ. So the mistake of man, it's all about works. The truth from the Lord, it's all about faith. And the faith which works, it's all about Christ. The snake of man, first of all, Paul says it there in verses 15 and verse 16. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law. Paul, the Jewish guy, he says, we know something. We know something actually better than you Gentiles know, you goyim, you unclean, pagan, Gentile sinners. Now, Paul's not very PC here. <laughs> He's making something of a racist statement. He says, we Jews know something you Gentiles don't know. And the truth is that in the early days, God revealed himself to the Jewish people, and he didn't do it to my Scots-Irish ancestors. 3,000 years ago, the Jewish people knew the true and living God with, with the beam of the light of his revelation on their little world. The rest of the world, we didn't know anything. My Scots-Irish ancestors were dancing around stone when the Jewish people knew the living God. And so Paul is saying here, we Jews by birth, we covenant people, we know something. Well, what do you know, Paul? 
Well, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law. Let's pause on that for a moment. Ask anyone in the street who at least believes in God, ask them, how do they find peace with God? How do they enter heaven? What are the grounds for their acceptance before their maker? The answer that you will find almost totally is, well, I've been a good person. Uh, my, my good will outweigh my bad. I, I'm, I'm not perfect, but I'm, I'm pretty good. And uh, God is a God of love, and God is a God of mercy, and he'll forgive. It's what he does, isn't it? It's all works. Scripture is clear, though. Paul is clear. We know. We're Jewish. We should know. And we know this. It's not of works. It's not of works. My uh, colleague, who actually is this top left corner photo, you'll see with the dark glasses, Mitch. He's on the streets of Squirrel Hill every Thursday, and he, he puts up a little shalom board. He puts up like a, an easel, and uh, on it, it's got shalom in Hebrew. And he will ask people with, with post-it notes, he will just ask them, write down on the post-it note what you believe brings peace. And I've been with him on a couple of occasions, and it's, it's fascinating because it's not a big, long questionnaire. We ask people, we ask them one question, and most often people will stop. And many of them will stop and have a conversation. Uh, some of them will just write a couple of sentences and put it up on the, on the easel, on the, on the board, on the shalom board. And uh, again, it's fascinating to read their answers. But most of the answers. How do you find peace? Well, I'm a pretty good person. You see, standard Jewish belief with regard to sin is kind of like the cartoons where you have a little angel on your shoulder and a little demon on your shoulder. That's basically standard Jewish understanding of human nature. There is a yetzahatov, a yetzahara. What that means in Hebrew, there is a good inclination and there is an evil inclination. That is standard rabbinic understanding. Maybe that's why we've got it in the cartoons because they're all Jewish people that draw the cartoons or make Hollywood, whatever. Um, but that's the, that's the theology. It's wrong. But their theology is, and it's not biblical theology. Let's remember this because the rabbis have reinterpreted scripture. Jewish belief in practice today is not what we read in the Old Testament or the New Testament. So we need to get into our mind that 2,000 years have passed and moved on, and Jewish rabbis have reinterpreted things because they don't have sacrifices today. How can you have Leviticus saying, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission for sins? Well, Mr. Rabbi will say, well, we don't need sacrifices today. We just, just uh, don't worry, be happy. Just, just be good. And let your good outweigh your bad. We're at, at, at uh, Jewish New Year, and the desire is, and this is the high holidays for Jewish people, this time of year, and the desire is at this time of year so that my good will outweigh my bad, and then I'm okay. My name will be in the book of life. That is standard Jewish practice and thought. Another aspect of Jewish thought today is tikkun olam, tikkun olam. What does that mean? Literally, it means repairing the world. So you will find a lot of Jewish people engaged in philanthropy or engaged in some good works that will repair the world. And, and there's a praiseworthy aspect to that. Don't misunderstand me. But that's part of their mitzvot, their good deeds. So they will seek to give money to good causes to repair the world so that, again, 
they'll have the, the little angel being listened to more than the little devil. And their good will outweigh their bad, and they'll be okay on the day of judgment. This is not what the apostle says. This is not what Paul, the Jewish guy, says. We ourselves, verse 15, are Jews by birth, not you Gentile sinners. And we know that a person is not justified by works of the law. Man's mistake with his pantomime pretense or his show-must-go-on mentality. His mistake is to believe it's all about works. Freddie Mercury goes on to sing, I'll top the bill, I'll overkill, I have to find the will to carry on with the show. Is that your position today? Is that where you're at? Is it a show? Is it a pantomime? Well, let me, let me make an important announcement. Your makeup is flaking. People know. We can put on a Sunday best show, and you can think it may be just your good works and your good show. That's a mistake. That's the mistake of man. Well, we must swiftly move on. The second point is the truth from the Lord. The truth from the Lord is it's all about faith. It's all about faith, verse 16. We're not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. And you see, immediately, let's, let's notice this even in the text. Faith has an object. Faith has an object. Otherwise, it's just faith in my faith. And sometimes people live with that, well, I've got great faith, or so-and-so's got great faith. And it's just faith in your faith. It's just a warm, fuzzy feeling inside. It's just the power of positive thinking. No, faith in this instance, it's all about faith. It has an object, and faith's object is Jesus Christ. There's the old illustration, and I'm sure you've heard it, and I've used it for 30 years as a preacher, but the old illustration of Blondin walking across Niagara Falls on the tightrope. So he's walking across uh, Niagara Falls, but he pushes a wheelbarrow across Niagara Falls on the tightrope. He gets to the other side, and he asks the waiting crowd that are all cheering, and, and whoa, that's wonderful, that's amazing. And he asks them, do you believe that I could do this again? Do you believe that I could walk back there with the, the wheelbarrow on the, on the tightrope? And they're all saying, oh, yeah, we believe you could do that. Certainly, we've just seen you do it. We believe you can do it. And he says, okay, who's going to get in the wheelbarrow? You see, faith, belief, is not just saying, yeah, wow, yeah, I believe in Jesus. Faith is getting into the wheelbarrow. Indeed, the, the Greek word has a sense not only of faith in Christ, but actually faith into Christ, into all that he is and all that he has done. You know, it was wonderful to read those catechism questions. Please don't, don't leave the catechism behind. What a wealth was there in the things that you were studying. I'm also tempted to, uh, well, I will do it at this point. When you go to your catechisms, and you can Google them, you can find them on your phone now as well, but go to larger catechism, question 191. So they, we've got the shorter catechism, we haven't got the larger catechism in there, but there is a larger catechism. And larger catechism, question 191. Don't think 911, <laughs> think 191. 
Why do I bring you to that one? Well, you look it up for your homework and you'll discover that in the 1600s, our forefathers had something to say about Jewish mission. In the 1600s, they're writing in the larger catechism that we should be praying for this. So that's just by way of a a catechism uh, uh, commercial. (laughs) Faith has an object. Faith is an into. Faith in my faith? No. The old Scots Presbyterian John Duncan, he says this, Is faith a person? Was faith crucified for you? In other words, no. You don't put faith in your warm, fuzzy feelings or faith in your power of positive thinking. You put faith in Christ. Faith has an object. It is not a vain hopefulness that all will be right in the end, but it is a faith in a historical act, in a historical second Adam, and all the things that he has said and done for us. You know, in passing, I have to say, I'm... uh, I'm really saddened and and even disturbed by the level of some preaching today in terms of the superficiality of who Christ is. Jesus is your life coach, or Jesus is your your, your good buddy, or or Jesus is just the pick-me-up pill you need for today, Um, and Jesus is kind of your genie of the lamp. He'll give you your three wishes. We need the doctrine of Christ in all that he is to give substance to our Christian lives. Otherwise, we will be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, as the Scripture says. We need to think on the wonder and the thrill that I can put myself in the wheelbarrow of all that Jesus is and does and has done and will do in taking me across Yes, taking me across even the final river. Our faith has an object. What was it that the maker of the cosmos should be made flesh? We've again read those catechism questions and answers. Read them again for your homework. Think on them, pause over them, pray over them. What was it for the Son of God to come into this world and without being uh, too carnal, but to come into this world by the birth canal. What was it for the divine child to be nursed at Mary's breast? What was it for him to hunger, to thirst, to be tired, to even, and I've never tried to preach on the subject, but he learned obedience, we read in Hebrews. What was it? Think on the substantial nature of your Savior, my friends. And worship him. Be thrilled by it. Learn more and more of who he is. And who he is for you. Because we read here that the son of God gave himself for me, says the apostle. You know, your faith has an object, a glorious object. And we do well to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, Psalm 27. And seek him in the temple. We read in the scriptures that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. What was the joy? You, my friends. Is that 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 staggering? It's for me. For the joy set before him. We sing the hymn, I cannot tell why he whom angels worship should set his love upon the sons of men. I cannot tell how silently he suffered as with his peace he graced this 
place of tears. I cannot tell. I don't understand. I've been a preacher for 35 years. I can't understand it. And yet the other hymn says, When this passing world is done, when has sunk yon glaring sun, when we stand with Christ in glory, looking o'er life's finished story, then, Lord, shall I fully know, but not till then, how much I owe. This is the object of our faith, my friends. It's not warm, fuzzy feelings. It's not faith in my faith. It's faith in Jesus, the Christ of God, and all that he is and has done for me. To have the shame of the, of the people, to be spat upon by the people, to have his hands nailed, his feet nailed, to have his side pierced, to have the Father turn his face away. On the well-beloved son, this is my son whom I love. And yet, Ele, Ele, lama sabachthani, why? Why have you forsaken me? It was for us. This is the object of our faith, my friends. And what a glorious object. What a glorious, if I can again use a kind of crass image, but what a glorious wheelbarrow this is for us. To get into. Are you, are, are, have you put your faith in, in Jesus, the Christ, the Christ of God? This is the message. Faith has an object, and, and even here in this text, we find faith has a vitality. Let's just press that a little further. Faith, ha, faith has a vitality. Verse 20, we read, The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Faith has a vitality. There is a vivifying nature to this. There is a life-giving nature to this. The old mnemonic for faith is F-A-I-T-H. Forsaking all, I take him. Have you done that? Shunning any work. Shunning any self-reliance. You take with empty hands the master's nail-pierced hands, and you apprehend, and you apply, and he applies everything that he is for you. This is vitalizing. This is vivifying. So the apostle will later write of how we are constrained by his love, or we are compelled by his love. This is an enthralling, binding, covenantal love. So he says, the life I live in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I am his, he is mine. He is my elder brother, he is my husband, he is my friend, he is my master, he is my shield, he's my strong tower, he's everything for me. And he prays for me. He was raised. We in the confession or, or, or in, in the creed will talk of not only his, his life, his death, his resurrection, but his ascension. He was raised and he uh, ascended and is seated. The old commentators would write of his session, his being seated. He is seated. What does he do? What is, he, what is Jesus doing in heaven? He's interceding for us. You remember in the night in which he was betrayed in the upper room, what was he doing? He was about to go to his cross. 
He was about to drink the very dregs of that cup. And yet he prays in the upper room. And he prays, Father, I want those to be with me. I'm leaving now. I'm coming to you. But, but these guys, they're, they're staying behind. And not for them only, but for all who will believe on me. And I'm praying for, I'm not praying for the world, he said. Have you read John 17 recently? What an amazing thing that the Son of God in the upper room prayed for you. I'm not praying for the world, he says. I'm praying for these ones. These who believe in me. What a delight. What a cause for the thrill and the worship and the vivifying and vitalizing aspect of living as a Christian. As a Christ man, a Christ woman. The mistake of man is works. The truth from the Lord is faith, and faith has an object, which is Christ crucified, risen, ascended, seated. And then that vivifies our life. And so our third point really is just an extension of two, of point two. And the third point is the faith which works. It's all about Christ. It's all about Christ. There is an age-old controversy among uh, commentators and, and the scholars, and usually liberal scholars, and they pitch Paul against James, and the apostle Paul says, we're justified by faith alone, and James comes in and says, well, you've got to do these works, blah, blah, blah. This is not a controversy. The truth is we are justified by faith alone, but the faith which justifies is never alone. And so he writes here in verse 19, through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. Now the modern cry is we're not under law, we're under grace, so we can do a lot of stuff and, and it's okay. And, and, and the modern Christian cry seems to be let's go as close to the fire without getting burnt. We, we've got, we're under grace. So, uh, yeah, we can do all of this stuff, and, and, uh, but we, we don't actually have to cross the line. Uh, sometimes we do, but, but let, let's, let's go close to the fire because we're under grace. None of, that, uh, none of that work stuff, none of that Christian law code, not under that. We're under grace. That's very, very, very dangerous. John Stott says he gives us new desires for holiness for God, for heaven. I, I am being made in the likeness of Christ. I'm not being made so that I can go as close to the devil as possible. I've been made in the likeness of Christ. I am living for God, for his glory. There are controversies uh, within our denomination at this moment, and uh, it, it seems to me we have just so, we've so carnalized Christianity, and and people will talk of, of being a, a, a non-practicing homosexual Christian. I might as well, I'm, I'm 37 years married. I might as well identify myself as a non-practicing adulterer. Or a non-practicing robber. Or a non-practicing covetous man. That's not our identity. My identity is that I am a Christian. What is my identity? Is it that I'm, I'm identifying myself? Well, I'm, 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 I'm not doing these things. Or instead is my identity, 
I'm seeking after this man, this Christ, this God-man, this one who loved me and gave himself for me. That's what I'm running for. Oh, please, dear friends, let us identify ourselves as Christ's. The old man is crucified. I don't need to call myself by the old stuff anymore. What, is, what does the scripture call us to? Not a hint of any impurity. Not a hint. Have nothing to do with the worthless deeds of darkness. Nothing. Now, I'm not saying we're perfect. I'm not, <laughs> to ask my wife on that one, I'm not saying we're perfect or we can't be perfect. But oh, we need to flee youthful lusts. And I'll tell you, the flee youthful lusts is still as re relevant when you're age 59 as when you're age 29 or 19. Come out from among them, the scriptures call us to. And only when we have the preeminence of Christ in our lives and in our churches, then will we run from such things. My existence and I need to really wrap this up and draw to a conclusion. But my existence is that it is all about Christ. The faith, putting yourself in the wheelbarrow, which works, is that it's all about Jesus. And that gives me real life. You know, I was talking about Mike uh, coming, uh, becoming a citizen, God willing. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Real life in Christ. Liberty, yes, to be a Christian, and the pursuit, dare I say it, even of godliness. This is the gospel that we live by. The faith which works is living vital communion with Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I just want to challenge you as we conclude. Is, is this your experience? Do you know this? Do you know Christ? Have you apprehended the mercy and grace of God in the Savior, Jesus Christ? Are you thrilled by that? Are you constrained by that? Are you compelled by that? Can you say your life has gone from B minor to C major? To me to live is Christ, to die is gain. This is the gospel. This is the gospel we're telling our Jewish friends and neighbors in the United States and around the world. This is the gospel you need. This is the gospel you tell. Let us be about our master's business. Let's pray together.